standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus, episode 548, coming to you on <clears throat> the 13th of December, the year of our Lord, 2023. And yes, today we're going to talk about the causes of action. What does that mean? Why does it matter? And what are you going to do? Before we do that, let me remind you the best way you can continue to help me make a difference, continue to build this uh, program and influence those around you, around us, is to like, share, subscribe to this program. Follow it on the social media or podcatcher of your choice. Don't forget, I am at Facebook. I do the page and a group there as well as drop in at me we and gab and as long as they'll tolerate it i still have stuff up at youtube and with that on with the show okay so i've had a couple of interesting uh days here i've popped out a pretty good idea of how to reset our vision going forward on monday i've talked about texas and where we're going what's what's that play and what's you know what do we need to do on tuesday and today we're going to talk about how all that pieces together why that matters when we make our next steps when we're taking the battle if you will to the enemy while we're pushing back while we're trying to make a difference so the first thing we have to understand is the world suffers from imperfection some would say that is the Outgrowth of the fall, whether you believe in that specific uh, theological point or not, let me just say we can all see the world is not perfect. Things are not as they should be. Things are not perfect. They're not going to be perfect, nor should we, quite frankly, ever expect them to be perfect. So being that we go into everything knowing that things are not perfect, that we are fallen by nature, what can we expect? What is what is the expectation that we can hold to. Well, I'm here to tell you, there are a lot of people that I work with that I call friends that I would ally with that, that (laughs) co-belligerence even, I don't have to agree on everything. I don't have to think they're the best person in the world. I don't, I don't have to personally want to spend nights with them, uh, having adult beverages on the patio. No, what I need to understand is I will work with the team that I have. I will work with the group that is present. I will work with the people that show up because at the bottom line here, showing up is far more valuable than saying the right thing. Showing up and doing something is far more valuable than saying the right thing. Having the ability to set aside minor differences and go to work is what wins. And the way you're able to do that is being willing to overlook the imperfect partnerships, the imperfection of the person that you're dealing with. Now, no more or nowhere more should this be prevalent or understood than our brethren that claim to both be conservative and Christian or Christian and conservative. They understand that man is fallen, man is broken, man is not perfect. They understand that there's going to be differences and shortcomings and problems and things where they let you down. And here's what I got to say about that. I know I've let down probably everybody that I know in one way, shape or form in my life. And I got news for you. 
pretty much everybody that I know has let me down in one way, shape, or form over my life. The question is, is do you kick those people to the curb? Do you dismiss them? Do you disregard their input, their value? Because that happens. And in my opinion, the answer is no. In my opinion, unless you see that there's a reoccurring problem here, unless you see that this person actually isn't working, isn't putting in the effort, you don't kick them to the curb. Maybe you reevaluate what you've got them doing. Maybe you reevaluate the relationship and the trust factor. Maybe you're not sure that this is the best situation, but you look to see if there's something you can work on together because that's how you win. You keep moving. You keep advancing. You keep pushing back. That means you're going to have to take some chances. If you've been let down, right? If you're looking for the proper or the best situation, you're going to have to take chances. Knowing that people fail, knowing that people come up short, you're going to have to take a chance in that person, perhaps letting you down again, perhaps being short again, perhaps failing at the ideal or the perfection that you put upon them. You have to take that risk. You have to take the chance and invest it into that issue. That means you you have to be willing to not have absolute certainty. Now, that's the thing. Risk takers can be problematic in the political world. But people that are non-risk takers, people that are risk adverse, that don't want to ever do anything unless they self-perceive it to be a sure thing, can equally be a problematic situation. They can have equally difficult uh, situations. You got to ask yourself, which is the worst outcome? Somebody that you can't trust all the time, every time, which I would say that's maybe an overstatement, right? Somebody that's not 100% dependable. How about that? You're, you're taking a risk, but at that point, is it a minimal risk or is it a significant risk? And that's what you got to figure out. And the process of doing that, the process of trusting and building a relationship and determining people's strengths and weaknesses and faults, that's how you get to a strong team. The strong team is how we win. The strong team is how we push back. The strong team knows who's best suited for certain things. The strong team realizes that sometimes you just got to give the person the lead. You got to set aside your own personal preference, your own personal pride and realize that that person's perhaps better suited. That person is going to give us a better outcome. Now it's difficult in all things because people do have a certain amount of pride. They have a certain expectation. They, they have a desire to win. They have, they want to pat themselves on their own back. They have their own self-interest being willing to set those, those things aside, being willing to overlook your own shortcoming or your short-term outcome, if you will, is how you become more successful. And when you have that strong team, you can hold the line better. You know that your flank is secure. You know that the other team's not going to be able to take you out, push back as better or as efficiently as they might otherwise do that because you're practiced, because you know what you're doing, because you know what the end goal is. <clears throat> Now, we talked about the, the challenges that we're going to see playing out in the primaries across the state of Texas. And quite frankly, they're going to play out in other states as well. But we've got 
situations where you've got, <clears throat> I would call them um, reliably moderate or <laughs> moderately reliable or at least tolerably good elected officials. In many cases, they're the incumbents. In many cases, they have delivered or they've done their time or however you want to phrase it. So the question is, can you bring to the field adequate replacements? Can you get somebody to step up to the team that's going to do as good or better than those folks? That's the challenge. That's something you don't really know. That's where you've got to determine, is this a high risk situation or a low risk situation? Is this person we're looking to replace basically good and just kind of misses on a couple things? Or are they just there and holding a place? See, that's a challenge. You have to weigh that out. And the and the real interesting thing is this each individual person needs to be doing this. Each individual person needs to determine what do you think? What do you see? What do you know? Now, some of that requires you to be dependent upon people that you trust to look into these things. Some of this is going to be dependent upon, is this an accurate description or an accurate understanding? But at the end of the day, we're looking to mitigate risks. We're, we're looking to, you know, to take the chance to expand, to move forward, to push back, to advance, if you will. That's only plausible when you have a team and a strong team. We're having to overcome the whole problem, the whole issue that we've had for decades, whereupon we retreat. We have a slow orderly retreat under the name of conservatism. And the conservatism of now is the liberalism of 10 or 15 years ago. When we're defending the standard rainbow flag versus the new transgender rainbow flag, uh, that should be a problem to you. I've been up front. I don't hate... I don't hate those folks. I, I don't look to make their lives miserable. I don't want to be rude to them. I don't want to dissuade them from existing. But, I, but I'm not really keen on the idea of celebrating somebody's perversity, celebrating somebody's sinful behavior. I no longer want to celebrate that a dude likes dudes than I do a dude that cheats on his wife or a dude that likes 6,000 uh, uh, calorie meals and doesn't work out at all. That is an obese individual that quite frankly is on disability and doesn't want to do a darn thing, but live off of the other people. Yeah. I'm not going to celebrate that either. Here's the interesting thing. When we keep allowing the left to define our terms, when we keep allowing the progressives to dictate what's right and what's wrong, when we keep allowing the atheistic haters to determine what is Christian behavior or Christian thought, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We're still retreating. We're not holding the line on anything. We're certainly not pushing back. You can only do that when you have a competent, successful group of people that come together for common goals and push back. Hold back the darkness. Now, that may look different in application, depending on where you are, whether you're in a suburban or a urban or a rural area, whether you're in the north or you're the south or you're the east or the west coast, or whether 
quite frankly, if you're in Canada or Texas, it's going to look different. It's going to have a different application. I can't tell you what the correct answer is 100% of the time. I can't tell you everything that you need to know. I can't hold your hand and make those decisions for you. But you have to understand right from wrong. You have to understand this is a good, legitimate Christian worldview answer here. And this is stuff that's either pagan or perverted and be able to call out this is wrong or this is sinful behavior or action or beliefs. We're not going to take any part of it. And again, going back to the first discussion point, the idea that things are imperfect, that things can't be always right. Somebody that makes a mistake and owns it and moves on is entirely different than somebody that not only makes a mistake, but then decides that the mistake should be the new normal and that you need to accept that mistake and you need to be okay with that and justify it and celebrate it. You see where I'm going here? We're supposed to turn away. We're supposed to, for lack of a better word, repent from bad behavior. And it's really challenging to do that. Excuse my yawn. It's really challenging to do that when you don't have people willing to call it out. And that's a major shortcoming we have, whether it's the churches or whether it's just plain Jane Christians that refuse to hold the line, that refuse to know what they believe and why they believe it. They refuse to stand for the right thing. Therein lies the rub. You know, they, they throw around the term theocracy. They throw around the accusation of quote unquote Christian nationalist for anybody that happens to be a Christian and wants to be politically involved. Anybody that subscribes to Christianity and wants to be politically active and, quite frankly, push a Christian worldview, they're the problem. They're evil. We're going to slander them with whatever new pejorative we can come up with, and they're supposed to accept that and be beaten down and pushed back into some little hole in the corner. But the reality is the pagans have been doing this. They have been running a pagan worldview. The perverts have been doing this. They've been pushing that we accept their new version of perversion. And they, they get away with it because we're supposed to accept that. All are supposed to be welcome. All is good here. We love everybody. How dare you? Again, if you can't see this, if you won't acknowledge it, you can't fix it. And if you can't fix it, it really doesn't matter. At that point, there's nothing left. You become... <clears throat> the conservative of now that was the liberal 20 years ago. And I gotta be honest, I'm not excited about the word liberal. I, I think progressive leftist, right? Socialist. Those are all much better descriptors, certainly of what the end game is or the end goal. But, but as we drift into this, right? If we, if we look at the bigger picture, the whole idea of pluralism, the whole idea of acceptance, the whole concept that, we're an open society is being used against us. They're weaponizing our own system to destroy the system. And we don't have an adequate defense. We don't know what it is we're doing. We can't push back effectively because we don't even bother to defend the things that matter. If you're not going to defend that a boy is a boy from birth, barring any small probability, or I guess, yeah, small probability or a likelihood genetic 
discrepancy or uh, malfunction, you're either a boy or you're a girl. You can't slap your approval on mental illness and somehow it makes it a good thing or a right thing. You're not actually loving those people. You're not helping those people. You're not getting those people to a whole situation if you go along with their delusion. Likewise, as we keep acknowledging that this is bad stuff, these are bad ideas. Look through what happened here in China, what happened here in Cuba, what happened here in the Soviet Union. If you're not willing to push back and call it out and explain why these are bad ideas, why these are bad notions, why they have bad outcomes, but you're then willing to turn around and explain, or I'm not explain, require no explanation, but huddle and hide from the very notion that you've been accused of being, quote, a Christian nationalist, a theonomist, right? Some, somebody that wants to cram their Christian worldview down the world. Well, let me ask you a question. Would we, is it realistic to believe we would have the liberty that we have left, that we have the society, the, the culture, the Western civilization, civilization that we have? Is it likely that that would have occurred outside of a Christian worldview? Is it likely that that would have occur, occurred outside of Christianity as a whole? Can Western civilization exist in and of itself apart from Christianity? I would tell you, I don't believe that's the case. And I don't know that anybody can make an adequate argument that it would be where it was. It's not there now, but where it was apart from that. Now, again, does that mean it's perfect? No, because we live in a fallen world. There is imperfection. There are shortcomings. There are men. And where men are involved, they make mistakes. They miss things. They cause problems. They're not perfect. The important thing is, is knowing that you're not perfect and putting in those safeguards to protect all. But just because you believe murder is wrong, just because you believe stealing is wrong, just because you think lying or false statements or false testimony is wrong, does not mean you want to jam a theocracy down somebody's throat. You can't give me a good justification why we should celebrate murdering babies in the womb. Yet, apparently, in the state of Ohio, they found a way to do that. And I'm going to ask you, where are you, dear Christian? Where are you, dear conservative? Why are you not there? Why were you not fighting back? Why were you not making a difference? How in this world did that happen? Do you really believe there are... 50 plus 1% of the people that believe killing babies in the womb is a good and righteous thing to do. Well, we ought to look at what their marketing is. We ought to look at how they did their sales pitch. We ought to, we ought to see what it is that they were selling and whether or not that comports with reality, whether or not that is an accurate statement, if that's real. And while you might not think that that's a fair analogy or that I shouldn't be bringing this up, That seems to be the simplest, easiest thing that we should all be able to line up and agree on that we think that that's a bad idea, but we can't even get 65% of the general public to agree on that. How in the world are we going to agree on all these other things? So when you throw out this idea that you're afraid of a theocracy, because, you know, quite frankly, what, 15% of the U.S. population would be even able to explain what theocracy is accurately and think positively of it. I don't think we're in any danger of that, but what we are in danger of 
is a socialist dictatorship. What we are in danger of is a <laughs> pluralistic, <clears throat> socialistic, fascistic terror. If you're not afraid of some dystopian future from what these leftists tell us they want to do, not never mind the things that we think that they might want to do or the things that we think that they actually believe, but just based upon the evidence that they provide by their own statements, their own actions, by their own books, by their own speeches, you ought to be very concerned. You ought to be acting in such a way as to prevent that, to push back against that, and to make a difference. But instead, you're so busy fixated on the guy that's next to you that's not perfect. They're on our team. We're supposed to be acting together to push back at this other stuff. That's far worse. We're supposed to be acting in such a way as to defend and do the right thing. But you can't do that when you're fixated on somebody that's not perfect. You can't possibly storm the beaches if you're going to do it with 0.1% of the population. Because realistically, that's about the number of people you're going to find they're in complete lockstep with everything you as an individual believe. And of course, I'm making that number up to prove a point here. There are tons of people that we agree myself and them on 80 plus percent of the general stuff. And of that 20%, maybe, maybe 5% of it's concerning, somewhat concerning. But you'll notice I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying, well, there's this deal breaker in here that I'm choosing to overlook. No, that assumes there's no deal breakers. That assumes that there's nothing like that that would interfere with you. But again, if you can't put aside those minor differences, if you can't accept that people aren't perfect and they don't perfectly align with what you want, what you think, to work on the greater good, to work on the strong team. The strong team is the method that we win, the method that we push back, the method that we hold the line. And if you're too busy wanting a perfect team rather than a strong team, the chances you're taking are with everybody. Because you're cutting off the knees of the guy next to you to prevent them from being successful or maybe getting their name in front of yours. Why? Because oh, they're not perfect. Well, let me tell you, nobody's perfect. Nobody. And if you don't understand that, if you're not willing to accept that and own that, you're never going to be happy. And guess what? We will continue to be ineffective. We will continue to fail to get the things done. And we're going to have to continue to settle for the mediocre representation that we get right now. Because quite frankly, if we can't circle the wagons to defend ourselves and then push forward to do better, we're never, ever going to do better. If that is not a cause for action, if that's not a cause for you to think, how can we do better and what do I need to do differently going forward? I don't know what is. The enemy is at the gates. The enemy is through the gates. The enemy is surrounding the keep and we need to do something. We need to mount a counteroffensive. We need to defend things properly. We need to take every action possible to defend what's left. And if you don't hold the line now, you may never, ever be able to hold the line. 
We've retrenched. We're in our redoubt. It's time to hold and push back. It's time to seize the day. The cause of action is simple. We have the enemy in our midst. Now, maybe you think that's too strong of a term. Okay, fine. We have a Democrat in HD 70. And all I've heard for months is about taking out in a primary our own incumbents who admittedly are far from perfect. But we have done very little to deal with the fact that we have a Democrat in HD 70. We've been too busy sniping at each other, fighting over small things, fighting over things that we largely agree upon, and we are not willing to put away, put away those minor issues to move forward. And instead, we're defeating ourselves before we even get started on retaking a house seat that we should have never, ever lost in the first place. But that's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we're dealing with. And let me ask you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to set this stuff aside? Are you willing to, quote, bury the hatchet? Are you willing to work on the greater outcome? Are you willing to overlook, well, that person endorsed that person, or that person helped that person, or those two people are friends, or I don't agree with this specific issue that this person advocates for. If you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to step back and look at the big picture that I talked about on Monday, perhaps, just perhaps, you ought to reconsider whether or not you're the right person to be leading the charge. Because it's very difficult to take action, to utilize that cause of action, if we can't trust the people to our right and to our left. And I mean the people that are on our team on the right and the left, not the lefties. We know we can't trust them. We know they're the problem. But let me ask you, where are you in this scenario? What are you doing in this scenario? And how are you going to help make a difference? If you know the answer, if you know what you want to do, here's your opportunity. Let's do it. We have decent candidates. We have, we have legit incumbents that are not terrible. Not all of them. But some of them are not terrible. And guess what? They're probably going to win. So rather than burning those bridges, rather than creating enemies, support the candidate. Support the person that you want to support. Let the incumbent know you're disappointed and this is why. Let the other opponent in the primary know, I chose this person because of this. But I don't hate you. I don't see you as my enemy. I just see this person as being better. We have to remember we are on the same team. And then come the end of March, we're going to have to figure it out. We're going to have to move forward. We're going to have to push back. And if you are too busy nursing the wounds and the battle scars from what partook in the primary, what use and what good are you in that battle? Rhetorical questions, ladies and gentlemen, rhetorical questions. And with that, this has been According to Callus. <laughs> it's been a long day, but I'm here. I've got it out, and I want you to do me a favor. Listen to the show. When you're done, give me a like. Subscribe, follow, and if you're feeling particularly motivated right now, the way you can make a difference for me is rate and review this program. Share it with your friends. And until the next episode 
I will see you on the other side.